0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our 10th episode of Doorway Chats. 10, we hit double digits. Let's go.
1: (laughs) All right.
0: And we're so excited that our 10th episode is our book club part two for Burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle, because it was such a great book. If you haven't already listened to part one, definitely go do that. We talk about the first few chapters of the book and today we're going to be talking about part three. So I did this long-winded speech uh, because I was so excited. Obviously I'm here with our lovely co-host Emma and I am excited for Emma to share something that we briefly mentioned last week. Um, Yes so
1: last week we talked a little bit about stress and how it affects different people in different ways, particularly that it affects women in different ways. But in the book, Burnout, they get a little bit deeper. And I guess this little analogy that they provide is kind of like a disclaimer in the book and for our episode that people have different life experiences, different backgrounds. And sometimes that correlates or often it correlates with gender and race. So the analogy that they gave in the book is called the tall tree fairness test. So, if you imagine that all humans are trees growing in fields or growing on different terrains, then we would look at white men, and they would be tall trees growing on a wide open field. It's flat, it's level, it has sunlight, um, and they're they're pretty stable there. Then, if we look at white women, white women are growing on a slightly steeper and rougher terrain, maybe with hills and rocks and stuff like that. And then if we look at women of color, it's like they are growing on a hillside or a cliffside over top of an ocean and they're getting waves from the ocean and they're getting adverse weather conditions and all of this stuff. So when we consider stress responses and the things that we're dealing with in our life, it's not to say that not everybody has stress, not everybody has worries, but it's to say that we all start from different places So so to say that the same stressor is going to affect the same or two different people the same way is just pretty unlikely so that's just a little bit i guess of a disclaimer to which i thought was kind of like validating of everyone's stress experience but also at the same time pointing out that there are a lot of levels of privilege that come with stress and different life experiences and backgrounds can cause you to experience more or less stress just in your everyday life.
0: Mm -hmm. And your ability to be able to deal with that stress and stressors can change based on your background and your current situation too. So in chapter six and seven, some of the ways they talk about dealing with stress is both connect and or rest. And those might be harder for some people than others. It's not necessarily the examples that you gave of, you know, white men all the way through the spectrum to colored women. It's just in general, your life situation can make it maybe hard for you to connect, especially with COVID nowadays. I feel like everyone is experiencing loneliness and fun fact, the book says that loneliness can actually have the same effect on your mortality, as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, which I was like, what? I'm shocked.
1: That's crazy, that's crazy. There's also a really crazy stat in the rest section, the rest slash sleep section, and we'll get into that because I I thought it was pretty wild.
0: Okay, so let's just talk about connecting for a little bit because I feel like there's an important point about co-regulating and syncing Mm -hmm. with other people which I mean, as women, we often will joke and I don't know how much science there is to this, but you know, like sinking periods and cycles. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sinking emotions can totally happen. Because if one person is stressed, you are just projecting all of that onto someone else unless you deal with it. So it's hard because you want to deal with stress by connecting you know, like you said, the 20 second hug. But at the same time, those have to be positive and healthy connections. Because otherwise, they're not going to help you. Right.
1: And I think you and I have probably some pretty good examples coming from living in a house of six girls all together. There were definitely times where you could see the two sides of the connection. Like, On the one hand, days where we would all be making dinner at the same time and there was music playing and we were all laughing. Then we all sat down and ate our separate dinners at the same time. And we sat there and chatted until midnight and then we all went to bed. And then on the other hand, there are other days like let's say mid-exam season or like during the season when everyone's getting a cold. And then everyone's just kind of glum and down, maybe a little bit irritable. And then all of a sudden we're just playing off of that. And then everyone is eating their own dinner in their own rooms with the doors closed and we're not (laughs) like chatting and connecting in the same way. And it's kind of like each of those uh, states of mind and like moods are totally contagious.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially if you're not in the same stage. Like if there was a time where I guess from my perspective, maybe I didn't have exams, other people did, then I was left on my own to find my own other connections. And so it like didn't help the house having somebody who could be positive there because I was like, okay, I can't, I don't wanna interact with you, not because I don't want to, but because I know I'll be distracting you. So, I mean, we just have to have what they call in the book, like a connected knowing of understanding context and putting yourself Mm -hmm. in their shoes, Um, which actually women, are more likely to use connected knowing than men, which I What did you think about that? Did
1: you, yeah, did you, did that
0: resonate with you? That resonated with me when I read the book, and then Brandon mentioned to me, and he was like, you know, like, you're really not empathetic, like, you're not doing a good job feeling off my emotions, like, whatever, he was like stressed out. And I was like, well, if you just did this, like we said, then it would be fine. And he's like, no, that's not the response I needed. Like I needed an it's You okay. needed like some
1: validation.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that kind of got me thinking, do I use my connected knowing more with other women? And maybe that was like my own bias saying he shouldn't be stressed. I am I could be stressed for the same reasons and I'm not. Or- right,
1: right. No, yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think there's also like certain kind of like, like we can be empathetic about some things and then have biases about other little things that make it harder for us to be empathetic about. Like maybe for somebody, it's hard to empathize about being busy for like a type A personality. Maybe it's hard to empathize with someone about being busy because it's like, okay, well, if you just made a list and then you check this off the list and then you like manage your time well, then you'd be able to do it all and it would be fine. And so we can see a clear path, but then maybe like for someone else, it would be hard to empathize with not being able to make friends. It would be like, well, of course you should be able to make friends. Just go talk to them. And it's like, I don't know, I guess we all have little blind spots about things like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I feel the same way about rest. And Mm. I don't know if it's because I'm pretty good about when I go to sleep and when I wake up. And like, I won't off very often stay up late for what I would call no reason, but staying up late for other people, like on a Saturday night is completely normal. Then they need more rest on Saturday. And I'm like, well, you have a whole weekend. What are you doing with your weekend? Right. That kind of takes us into the rest category. And it's not just about sleep. I mean, the benefits of sleep definitely Outweigh the t- time cost, as the book said, because mm-hmm. lack of sleep can have lower emotional intelligence. You can have a worse um, immune response to conflict, and apparently, people who have been awake for 19 hours are as impaired in their cognitive and motor function as a person who is legally intoxicated. Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah, I mean, 19 hours. Like that's, that would be like one night you don't get five hours of sleep. I just, yeah. I mean, that weekend that we talked about in August, I didn't get five hours of sleep those nights for sure. I didn't get five hours of good sleep. So no wonder then, you know, you have one drink in the morning. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> technically there my cognitive function is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And
1: it's, Yeah, it's so interesting. And then I think another example they say is like if you get less than six hours of sleep a night for like two weeks or something, that you shouldn't drive a car because that's that's almost the same as 19 straight hours. So basically everyone should be getting seven plus hours of sleep a night every single night in an ideal world. And I think I can definitely notice when I don't get enough sleep, I notice that I have a harder time like regulating my emotions. I might be more irritable or I might more emotional just in general. And then I'm like, oh, I really should have just like not scrolled on my phone for that little bit of extra time or not watched that one more episode because it really, I think I am pretty sensitive to not getting enough sleep.
0: Mm -hmm, Same. But you know why it's hard? Because like you said, if you hadn't watched that episode or whatever, but that's the time that you wanted for you at the time, right? And it's hard to just give up that free time that you feel like you have right before you go to sleep because that's the time when no one else needs you. No one's Mm -hmm. looking for you. No one's asking for something. There's nothing for you to really be doing. So Mm -hmm. that really easily defaults to your me time. Mm -hmm. What is a
1: possible solution to that? Like, do we cut out the me time? Do we shift everything back a little bit? So our me time, instead of starting at 9 p.m now it starts at 8 p.m so then it like we have an hour of me time and then we still go to sleep at the same time or whatever or do we wake up earlier what do you think
0: um honestly I think like this is where we toss in human giver syndrome yeah because in the book they talk about that human giver syndrome which is basically that Women feel like their purpose, or especially women, feel like their purpose is to give, give to others, give their time, their energy, their emotions, etc. And so it messes with women's sleep because it's considered selfish. And so women feel like they're not going to sleep. Maybe they're going to wake up earlier to have their own me time so that the rest of the day they can continue being a giver, but then you're sleeping less.
1: Right. Or you are up all night, you're up late, maybe because you have children and you have to give all your time to them, or maybe one of your friends needs to talk. And so you're up late talking to them, or you're just generally exhausted because you spent all of your day, except the time that you were asleep, giving and giving and giving.
0: Okay. Let's get a little bit more into human giver syndrome because I found that really interesting And we talked a little bit about our main goals in life and just in general last time. I guess I'm thinking about why do we feel like we have to be givers and what can we do to alleviate that when we feel like if we don't do it, it just either won't get done or it's not going to be This is my biggest one. It's not going to be done the way we want it to be done. And they actually give an anecdote about this in the book too. Mm -hmm.
1: So I think why are we human givers? Why do we have this tendency to think that like we need to give all our energy, all our time, all our emotions to everyone else, without anything going back to us, I think in a word, the patriarchy (laughs) But I think it's kind of, if we're looking at specifically women experiencing this, I think it's our conditioning as we grow up. People who only had one parent stay at home with them, they're more likely to have had their mother stay home with them than their father, which means that they're more likely to have seen their mother make the meals, do the laundry, do all the housework, also attend to the children's and maybe the father's emotional needs. More likely to, you know, see the mom just eat for lunch, only her children's scraps, stuff like that we're more likely to have like little girls be encouraged to be nurturing and to take care of people and to be nice and to be caring and stuff like that whereas little boys are taught to be independent and strong and so then by the time we are adults we are just prepared to step into this role where we are looking after everybody else in our life. And then at the last little bit of energy can be spent on ourselves if there's any energy left.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. Even when, I mean, things are evolving now, but you think about generally girls' toys are like dolls and things that you have to take care of versus little boys' toys are things that are easily destructible And I think Lego has actually done a really good job of trying to cater more towards young women now. And that's something that, you know, I feel like can be smashed (laughs) and doesn't have to be taken care of so much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I think from my own reflections, I definitely was like a doll's girl. And I think now I do feel like I give a lot, but mostly because if I don't do it, I feel like it won't be done the way that I would want it or to my standard. And the anecdote in the book is about how a mother went through this whole um, stress situation or chronic stress health crisis. And she ended up not just simply not being able to do some of the basic household chores that needed to get done. And so she had to let go of you know, the floor wasn't mopped perfectly or the drying rack wasn't always put away immediately, but that was okay because it still worked. It wasn't affecting their life negatively in any way. It's just not the way she would have done it.
1: Yeah. And I think that on that, it's almost like at that point, it's only affecting that woman negatively in her head like mm-hmm. the only negative impact of that situation is in her own head because she's like going well i would have done this why would they do it that way
0: yeah that's me like folding clothes and then being like look look how nice and folded brandon folds clothes like it's gonna be wrinkly if you fold it that way <laughs> but okay so this is a whole and this is the last chapter of the book chapter eight it's called your mad woman mm-hmm. they talk about toxic perfectionism mm-hmm. and. How it does terrible things to your monitor, which we talked about last episode, because perfection is an impossible goal. So you keep thinking you're working towards this goal, but you're never going to reach it. So you're going to feel hopeless before you begin. And your monitor is never going to say stop doing it because you're thinking it's a possible goal.
1: Right, right. Because you're always just, you just continue to strive and strive and strive and strive, but there's never an attainable end.
0: Mm -hmm. And you have that mean voice inside your head telling you, okay, this is done wrong. Like, Why aren't you doing this better? And that basically is the definition of your mad woman is that other voice in your head giving self-criticism and not providing any self-compassion. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the book gives reasons why self-compassion is hard. And we've talked about those a little bit in past episodes when we talked about body positivity, but it's hard because we feel like we need to push ourselves with something and healing hurts. And then the last one is strength is scary because we have to fight against, like you said, everything that we've been taught as a kid, we have to fight against human giver syndrome or being not on a flat plain cliff or being on a flat Flat field field and being on a cliff instead. And it's not always comfortable to like toot your own horn and say, yeah, you know what? I did the dishes. They're sitting in the drying rack, but they're clean. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think
1: the note about needing something to push ourselves with is interesting because it's like so if we you know berate ourselves in our own minds for not folding the laundry fast enough or and it sits in the dryer for like an extra day or for not doing the dishes or something like that then we're like oh like you should have done that why didn't you do that and it's like you're bringing out the quote-unquote whip and punishing yourself in your mind for not doing these things And then you finally do it so the cue that your mind is getting is okay you are responding to the punishment and then you're going to keep using the punishment because your brain thinks that that's an effective tool to get you to do things but it's probably going to respond better in the long run if you take a step back and you're like okay i'm feeling really tired today i could use some downtime so i'm going to leave those that laundry and i'm going to fold it tomorrow and that is okay
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they talk about in the book how to grow mighty and basically instead of using that whip, befriending your mad woman and some of the steps that they talk about are creating a persona for her and connecting and there's always going to be a gap in maybe what she is saying and what you are thinking but if you can relate to them in some way and kind of say, okay, we're compromising today and figure it out. I don't know. I found that really interesting because I definitely feel like I have a mad woman, but I had a hard time picturing and like creating a persona. Were you able to do that?
1: Well, I, Instead of creating, like, a new persona, I was just thinking about fictional characters that I could, like, equate the Madwoman with. And the one that I came up with was Miranda Priestley, who is Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Product. and she's like just go 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 all the time she's so tough she's so like invulnerable like she doesn't show her emotions to anyone and then um like everything about her appears perfect on the outside and then of course later in the movie like her vulnerabilities are revealed and like she is emotional and being a human and so I kind of equated my mad woman with that because I think the mad woman is like telling you what you should be according to society human giver syndrome the patriarchy which is like this perfect version of miranda Priestley in the devil wears prada and then what you actually are is the flip side and that is kind of her when she's at her like vulnerable point and she grows from that and whatever so that's what i imagine my mad woman as
0: okay now that you said that it sparks my favorite movie is syrup it was a book it's on netflix it's rated terribly and everyone that i've shown it to hates it but i love it and the main character i think is very similar to the character you just described in that the whole movie she just goes and she is a super powerful um woman in Like her business and blah, blah, blah. But she never shows emotion. I always was like, I want to be her. But now that you said that, you're totally right. You're shutting that part of you out. And that Mm -hmm. is not going to help you in the long run to deal with your emotions if you never even address them.
1: Right. And it's kind of like when they say to befriend your mad woman, it's kind of like I'm imagining befriending like the vulnerable version of Miranda Priestley or the vulnerable version of my mad woman who has like been through stuff and has these unrealistic expectations for herself and feels stressed out and all this stuff. And she just needs like some empathy and some self-compassion and some love. And while they were talking about the mad woman and like personifying it and showing self-compassion, one of the lines that really stuck out to me that I thought was nice was She could hold the imaginary little girl in her grown up lap and reassure her that no one was mad and it's okay to need things. People will be there for her. And I thought that was just like so nice because it's really true, I think, for a lot of people that the way that we're talking to ourselves in our head, we wouldn't, like, if our five year old self was standing beside us, we would never talk to our five year old self in that way.
0: Mm -hmm. And probably most likely we would never talk to anyone else. Yeah, that way. And we would never want to in the first place. So yeah, I like that line too. Okay. And so one other thing I wanted to talk about, which was in the category of how to grow mighty was gratitude. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about you when I read this part, because it must have been five years ago, you were taking an exam and you were writing before all a list of the things that you were grateful for. And that was supposed to help you, I guess, prepare and like de-stress. And then they mentioned it in the book. And I was like, wow, I've been like trying to do some gratitude stuff. I don't think I have kept up with it as well, but we didn't even like learn all those years ago. Like you did it. And then we just never Talked about it we never did it again I don't know did you ever do it again
1: I don't think so like I'm not even this is like such a vague memory to me when you're telling me this and I have maybe done like the odd I think like kind of what you're saying like okay I'm gonna start gratitude journaling or I'm gonna like start writing down three things that I'm grateful for or something like that um, I've maybe like tried to do that a few times in the past several years, but yeah, like you, it's never really, it hasn't stuck yet, but I would like to get into that because I think it seems like a really good way, like they say in the books to retrain your brain to pick out the positive things in life.
0: Mm-hmm. And something I liked in the book was how they said to practice two different lists, gratitude for who you have but then also gratitude for how things happen. So you can try to be grateful for something that has happened, even if it's not the most positive scenario. And I remember back last August, I was in, like, I had an accident with my hand. And like, it looked like a zombie hand. It was pretty bad. I broke a part of my finger. Anyways, as I'm like getting it all bandaged up, I just went into this spiral of gratitude, like, okay, at least I know for sure I'm winning my Apple Watch Challenge. So it's okay if I can't exercise the rest of the day. And at least my whole hand isn't ripped off. And it happened at the end of summer. And I don't have anything else to do with my hand. I don't know. At the time, I, I'm not sure that that felt like it helped me. But I feel like it did because I probably would have been crying and writhing in pain if I wasn't doing that. And now I look back on that time as like, a, okay, I went through something really hard and I didn't spiral downwards. Mm-hmm. I grew up and it worked out. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's something to be said about like spinning things in a positive way, whether it's specifically like gratitude rather than focusing on them. Like I know if I have a cold or if I have, I don't know, something on my body is hurting or, or whatever. And then I just keep thinking to myself all day, Oh, this hurts so much. This hurts so much. Then it seems to somehow hurt more because I'm thinking about it and focusing on it so much. Whereas if I'm a little more casual and I'm like, Oh yeah, this hurts, but like, it's not that bad or like, it's okay. Like it could hurt a lot more, (laughs) which (laughs) is I guess there's also a fine line between like brushing away your emotions and you know like actually like facing your emotions and like in an unhealthy or healthy way but I think that focusing on the positive side of things can definitely help in a lot of ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay so especially because you mentioned like having a cold and then thinking about it all the time I always as soon as I get a cold, I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. And I think I have a pretty good immunity system. Knock on wood. Immune system. Sure. Immunity. I'm getting ready for the new survivor season. Okay. (laughs) Um, I think I have a pretty good immune system. And as soon as I feel like I'm getting cold, I, you know, start taking as much vitamin C more than I already eat in a day and blah, blah, blah. And I try to feel like, okay, my mindset is that I'm not going to get sick, so I'm not going to get sick, and it's fine. And then when other people get sick, like, okay, I'm going to call him out again. Brandon gets sick; he's like, "Oh, I'm sick." He like really it goes into that negative spiral, I guess. I'm like, "This is all your mindset." He's like, "It's not in my head that I'm sick; like, this is a physical problem where I'm sick." And I'm like, "Okay, true, but I'm just." so used to trying to fight it with my mind and maybe I am just kind of forgetting about my sickness because I'm putting it away and I'm not wallowing in it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I think if you're wallowing in it and all you're thinking about is the fact that you're sick, then all of the symptoms are going to feel enlarged and everything is going to feel like it's taking over. But if you can take a step back and, and just, I don't know I do the same thing like I tell myself I'm not sick as well and I swear it makes the cold last for less time than it would have otherwise and I swear my symptoms aren't as bad but I think it's really just a matter of like they don't seem so big because I'm not thinking about them all the time like it's the same thing if you are like in a fight with your significant other and like I don't know if this has ever happened to you but maybe like for one of you there's like a disagreement and then one of you walks away and like doesn't really think that much about it about it and then the other one of you walks away and thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks about it Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you have this huge problem in your head and then the other person has like no problem in their head but it's just because one person has been focusing on it and one person hasn't been like everything seems like a bigger deal when you think about it all the time
0: yeah okay we'll do a super scientific poll I mean, not really related to burnout, but I just want to know if other people think like us, or I guess like me, where like sickness in some ways is a mindset.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so we'll do a poll about that. But as we wrap up, is there anything else from the book that we haven't talked about? Any other quotes or anything that stood out to you? Mm.
1: I think um, I think we pretty much covered everything. I think the only other thing maybe that we um, brushed over in the rest and sleep part that I thought was really interesting was, so the book says based on scientific studies that you need seven hours minimum of sleep per night, but you need 10 hours of rest per day. So if even if you're sleeping for seven hours a night, you still need three additional hours of rest and rest can be like a lot of different things. Like it doesn't have to be sitting on the couch. It could be exercising. It could be, you know, eating and making dinner. It could be connecting with your family, but just things where your like productive brain doesn't have to be on. So I think that was a, a good takeaway for me. And um, something I've been trying to do more since I read the book is like let my brain wander a little bit more when I'm doing things like try to not because in the past I'll just like listen to a podcast at all times or like try to do work while I do something else um and try to always have something productive going on but now I've been trying to just kind of let my mind wander so that it feels like you're getting more rest anyways
0: mm-hmm. yeah um active rest the example they gave in the book yeah. was like when you're folding laundry don't think mm-hmm. about it a- all the other things you have to do, just let yourself go into laundry mode and like let your mind wander because it's a mindless task. So basically Mm -hmm. like doing a small, easy task as a break from a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that actually, like you're saying that example, then it allows you to return to your main task and be even more like motivated and have even more energy for that task. So Mm -hmm. it's really beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Any other big takeaways or anything that is if there was one thing you're going to take from the book and implement in your life or one thing that has changed the way that you will go about your day going forward what would it be
0: I think it was the mad woman and like the quote that you said about how like w- we would not talk to others or our kids or us as kids that way and then toxic perfectionism like in that bracket of my mind telling me, okay, I have to do everything perfectly and it has to be to my standards is probably my biggest takeaway.
1: Nice. Those are
0: good ones. All righty. Thank you so much for listening. We're so excited that this was our 10th episode. I can't believe it. feels like, I mean, I just yesterday. feel like, yeah, I mean, it feels like yesterday. It feels like it's been a long time. I don't know. Everything is all messed up. <laughs> but- Time we will see you all in two weeks. Look out on our Instagram for our super scientific study about, um, getting sick and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.